Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Green Minds podcast, the student-led podcast dedicated to thought-provoking conversations on climate change and sustainability. I'm your host, Jim, and today I'm joined by John Waldron, Head of Policy Development on Carbon Capture, Utilization and Storage at the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero. Welcome, John. Let's start the episode off with a brief self-introduction. Can you tell us about yourself? Hello, uh, thanks very much for having me on the podcast today. I am a civil servant and work for the Department of Energy Security and Net Zero on carbon capture, usage and storage. And I've worked in the department for about six years. Uh, before that, I used to work as a geologist uh, in the energy sector, working on oil and gas exploration. And uh, I think that's enough by way of introduction. I'll let you get into the questions, I think. so. When I first reached out about carbon capture, you asked whether I'm interested in a specific sector or am I just looking for a general overview? Can you maybe provide some examples of the specific sectors where carbon capture technologies are being applied and how they differ in terms of their implementations and the challenges they face? Yes, of course. We're looking in the UK to apply carbon capture storage to, to lots of different sectors. So how we think of it, is we think of it as industrial carbon capture, which covers a whole part of the economy itself. Things like cement, um, steel, all sorts of things all fall under that singular bucket. But on top of that, we're also looking at sectors like power, where we want to apply carbon capture to electricity generation from gas and also potentially biomass generation as well. But uh, on top of that, there's Hydrogen production, so blue hydrogen, which is hydrogen production with carbon capture and storage applied, and sustainable aviation fuels. And then even further, there's greenhouse gas removals, which is looking to find ways to produce negative emissions, either directly capturing CO2 from the atmosphere or life cycle negative emissions through processes that use biogenic feedstocks. So there's so many different aspects to carbon capture and storage that I wanted to see you know, where you were interested in primarily because there's so many different things we could talk about. I guess today I want to mainly focus on the industrial aspects of it. Um, so you mentioned that the various sectors, they include the industrial aspects, they include the power generation aspect, and there's also the direct air capture. Can you maybe give us a general overview of how the carbon capture implementation strategy would vary based on these different sectors and maybe geographic locations as well? Yes, of course. Yeah. So the way the government's approached the geographic question is to try and set up what we call clusters. What we've done there is looked at where there are large concentration of industrial emissions and other emissions that can have CO2 capture applied to them, uh, and also where the storage facilities are, the offshore geological storage facilities, and where those two things match up nicely, we've started creating carbon capture and storage clusters. And so the first two are in the East Coast and Northwest of England. And there's also some extra clusters been selected in Scotland and, and on the Humber side region. And so that, that's the kind of primary geographical consideration is where have you got a good concentration of different projects with emission sources that you can apply uh, CCS to those. And then a lot of the newer projects and new technologies sort of come come to that area so it's almost like build it and they will come the new stuff that doesn't have an, a fixed location a fixed existing location has to 
organize itself around those clusters that we've selected. Uh, and that's working quite effectively in, in terms of providing that geographic coordination. Uh, in terms of the different strategies between the sectors, um, there are different ways that um, the sectors operate. So a lot of a lot of the industrial sectors want to produce all the time and would be producing as much um, steel or as much cement as they as they can across a year in a in a reasonably level profile. Whereas, for instance, a power generation company will adapt to electricity market forces and will be sometimes producing its entire output and sometimes not producing at all if the electricity market dynamics are different. And so because of, because of those differences in terms of you know, what the end product is and what the market for the end product behaves like, the, the model for each of the different applications of CCS is different. And we're trying to incentivize and drive different uh, behaviors and different operational strategies um, in the different sectors which CCS is applied to. From what, from what I understand, uh, Track 1 just started last year and Track 2 is still ongoing. And the UK's plan is to have a total of four clusters by 2030. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So we've got um, the ambition to have four clusters by 2030. And both the processes um, to, to set that up have already started. So the Track 1 process selected two clusters, which I already mentioned, the East Coast cluster and the Hynet cluster in the northwest of England. Uh, and those clusters are relatively mature now, and the capture projects have been selected, and negotiations are ongoing. And so that, that's really in the final stages of trying to line up the contracts and sign those contracts between government and the private sector so we can get on to construction and delivery. Whereas track two is in the earlier stages, two new clusters have been selected, but the actual capture projects that will connect to those clusters uh, haven't been decided upon, and there's a process kind of starting um, to, to decide which projects will kind of be connected to those clusters and which will be successful. Sounds like it's going well. Um, I guess now we want to move on to the more climate related stuff. So when we talk about carbon capture, one of the things that we're trying to address is, I guess, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. And can you maybe tell us how does uh, CCUS contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions? and maybe some of this environmental concerns that may be associated with the deployment of this technology? Great, sure. So, I mean, the, the policy itself is definitely one that's focused on decarbonisation. And so all of these things that are being produced are uh, essential products for the economy that, you know, we need, we need those products and we need to work out how to decarbonise the production of those products. In a lot of cases, it's not possible to provide those products without the use of fossil fuels. Electrification can only get us so far, and there's certain hard to abate sectors of the economy where you need to continue to use fossil fuels. And so in that instance, then the carbon capture comes in in that hard to abate space. And so the one of the great things about the carbon capture kind of technologies is that we can capture 90 plus percent of the CO2 emissions while still producing the product in a similar way. That can be very helpful for those processes that you can't decarbonize, but in other ways. But it can also reduce the costs even where there are other, are other options. So if you've got an existing uh, production facility that's, that's producing uh, steel, for example, uh, ability to then apply carbon capture and storage to that facility um, could be cheaper than starting from scratch 
and building a whole new electrified facility. So that that that's one of the considerations is cost, but a lot of the applications are areas where there, there is no route to decarbonize without continued use of fossil fuels. Um, my focus is on the power sector. And although the power sector as a whole is not a hard to abate sector, you know, we've got renewables, we know how to deploy renewables, they're coming down in costs and, and proving very successful. Renewables can't do the whole uh, decarbonization job on their own. And there are times of the year where we have very low wind or, or very low wind plus solar. And you need other options and flexible options that can, can fill those gaps. And so it's like focused on hard to abate sectors or the difficult portions of sectors that we are already abating. And I think that's what I'd kind of really emphasize in terms of the role of CCUS. It's not, it's not the easy to abate stuff or the, the cheap stuff. This is only focusing on the hard to decarbonize areas. Yeah, it's trying to address some of the hard to abate sectors. So that's cement, that's steel, that's aviation. And I guess a big challenge when it comes to storing these CO2 is that there seems to be a discrepancy in terms of where the industry, industrial clusters are and where you can safely store them. Can you maybe elaborate on the current situations that you know we're facing and you know how far does the doesn't have to be until it becomes like economically feasible uh, to store the carbon dioxide that is captured? Yes, sure. And I think the UK, I'll start by saying the UK is quite lucky in this respect. A lot of our uh, industrial emissions and other forms of emissions that relied are on fossil fuels. So for instance, uh, gas fired power stations, they're located near the coast. We're, we're island nation and we've relied on gas from the North Sea um, for, for a long period of time for, for a lot of our energy needs. And so a lot of the, the emissions that we're looking to decarbonize are on, on the coast, but also reasonably uh, near to where the geological facilities are because the ge geology that is required for carbon capture and storage uh, can be quite similar to the geology that was originally required for oil and gas production. Uh, and therefore we, we can reuse old oil and old gas fields or reuse some of the infrastructure and target new stores that are in a similar area. So the UK has got a bit of an advantage because um, we've got a lot of uh, emissions that are concentrated relatively close to the stores. Uh, and that's the whole point of the cluster sequencing process is to try and bring together those most concentrated um, sources of emissions and find the most appropriate store for, for those emissions. Um, in terms of the future, once once we've kind of uh, built out a few of the most uh, logical and easy easy to construct clusters, there may be a need for more distal sites, so emissions that are further away from the clusters or stores that are further away from the emissions um, to be utilised. And we're looking at things like shipping of CO2 to enable that um, or other forms of non-pipeline transport, so using um, potentially rail or road on land to complement the pipeline transport CO2 um, to ensure that uh, none of these hard to abate sites in the longer term are, are left behind uh, and they all have a route to decarbonize by sort of net zero by 2050. So the transportation of the carbon dioxide actually plays a big role into considering, um, I guess, CCUS applications. 
And speaking of, because we were talking about like the hard to beat sector and carbon dioxide, and it, this has to, I guess, lead to a discussion on one of the application of carbon dioxide, that being uh, using carbon dioxide and then pump it in back to some of the whales that, you know, you can extract more natural gas or more fossil fuels. Can you maybe give us a view on what is happening in different countries and how is UK's approach maybe different? Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is, is using the CO2, pumping it into an existing oil and gas reservoir to enhance the production. Uh, that's called enhanced oil recovery. And it's been, um, CCUS is kind of as a global industry has seen a lot of enhanced oil recovery, um, not in the UK, and, and there is no operational kind of large scale CCUS in the UK now, but a lot of the commercial beginnings of CCUS have been to do uh, with enhancing the production in the oil industry. So in the US, for example, there's a, there's, there's a small to medium sized industry that is focused around um, a sort of cyclical process around enhancing oil production by capturing CO2 um, in the oil and gas processing facilities and then pumping that back down into the reservoirs. That's not the primary purpose of the policy in the UK. So we, we don't have any mechanisms or any policies to support enhanced oil recovery. All of the work that we're doing is, is focused on purely decarbonisation. Uh, and so they're, they're two, two kind of different applications of the same technology. One is to do with a commercial model all built around maximising profits of the oil and gas industry. Another is to do with decarbonising hard to bait sectors of the economy and purely valuing um, CO2 uh, emissions reduction and CO2 removals. And in the UK, that's what we're really focused on. We're focused on using CCUS to decrease the amount of CO2 uh, being emitted into the atmosphere and potentially also applying it to removing CO2 from the atmosphere. So we're very much focused on, on the latter. And the fact that the technology is being developed and has been developed um, means that it's come down in cost and it's been de-risked for its applications in decarbonisation space. But sometimes there is there is kind of negative implications from being associated with the oil and gas sector and to distance the, the two from one another can be difficult and especially with lack of public understanding of what CCUS is some people do have that nervousness around is it really green is it really something that government should be supporting and so we, we do a lot of work to try and make sure we're communicating as much as possible in a way that's accessible to the public to, to try and make sure people understand the purpose of the policy. And it's not it's not a policy to support further oil and gas production. It's a policy that's part of our efforts towards net zero. There's one thing I'll say okay. just on that. Sorry. Um, what, one thing to add is, you know, the, the UK does have a lot of employees in the oil and gas sector. And this is this is a natural route for them to have, you know, sustainable long term green jobs. And so although we're not using CCUS to, to drive more oil and gas production. It can be helpful for the people in that sector to, to transition towards more long-term sustainable jobs in, in the energy transition. I thought I'd mention that because I, I always forget the, the jobs angle. I'm a, I'm a scientist by background. I'm interested in the technical aspects, but the, the economic aspects and the real life impact on people's jobs is, is super important. Yeah, that's super important. The job angle is something that we definitely have to consider. And I guess this ties well into the just transition that's been, I guess, on top of everyone's mind now uh, since uh, COP28. And 
you briefly touched on the cost issue that could arise in the CCUS technology. So some of the statistics that I read is that the IEA predicts that globally there will be a 3.5 trillion US dollar need uh, annually for CCUS to meet some of the climate goals that we're setting out. And the UK government has recently announced a 20 billion, uh, I guess, budget or subsidy under the spring budget 2023 in March. But it seems to me that there's still a pressing challenge of the cost of developing CCUS and just the general lack of funding worldwide. With McKenzie, a consulting service provider, claims that uh, there will be a need of 45 billion pounds for the UK to reach its 2030 goal of four clusters. Can you maybe elaborate on this topic? What are some of the headwinds for developing this technology in the UK? Yes, yeah, sure. I, and I think, you know, you start off with the IEA figures for, for a global industry. And there is there's a huge opportunity for CCUS to be applied globally and contribute to, you know, the worldwide problem that is climate change. Um, and that, you know, the UK is obviously sort of one of the forerunners in developing this technology. We're, we're not the biggest emitter in the whole world. And we're, yeah, we're, we're very cognizant that um, in some ways our own efforts to reduce our, our domestic emissions are, are less significant than our efforts to kind of create pathways for others to follow and, and help reduce cost of technologies for, for other countries that have got you know, more emissions that need to be decarbonized in the future. So, so I think that's like a big part of why the UK is doing this is you know, to, to meet our own carbon budgets and to decarbonize by 2050, but also to, to contribute to that global effort in, in finding ways to decarbonize every sector of the economy. I think that's really important. Uh, in terms of the costs, the, the government's kind of committed the, the, what we say is up to 20 billion for the initial phases of, of CCUS deployment. And how much of that is used in the first couple of clusters uh, depends on the outcome of negotiations. It also will depend on things like the carbon price uh, and, and other aspects of exactly how much of that uh, envelope is used over, over the course of those contracts. And so, you know, there, there's a there's there's a non-specific number that will potentially be used up in the first few clusters. Um, but there, there is a recognition that more funding will be required kind of beyond that to really drive CCUS to deliver the benefits and the, the size and scale of the sector that, that we want to see in, in the country. Also, we released kind of relatively recently something called CCUS Vision, which shows government's mentality and pathway beyond the first few clusters and what we're trying to do to move away from high levels of government support and create more self-sustaining market. I think that's common to what's kind of going on globally. Lots of countries and geographic kind of entities have developed carbon prices and emissions trading schemes. And so there's various different aspects um, that are being brought together to provide a framework that can help reduce the costs on, on governments themselves. But we, we're in the sort of initial phases where uh, government support is required and significant um, significant amount of uh, subsidy, but cost reductions will come through and the more market-based frameworks are being developed. It's pretty good. And then I, I guess you, you sort of answered my next question, which is, uh, I guess, where you see the mix of public and public and private finance into that. And I think your answer was that, you know, public 
uh, is going to be the starting point. And then after that, you're trying to attract private capital into the mix. Uh, is yeah. Coming to the last question is that I recently came across a piece of news from Bloomberg that talked about the fact that the European Union will need to capture emissions that is equivalent to those of Poland and Denmark combined to reach its ambitious climate targets. And where do you see UK in this effort? Is the UK positioned well as a carbon capture emission technology leader? It's a, it's a really good question. I think there's there's various different countries that could be positioning themselves to be a, a sort of source of storage for the European Union's emissions. Um, across the EU, there are countries that have uh, CO2 storage potential, but the amount of emissions that they're seeking to capture um, is likely to far exceed the potential storage in, in the EU. Uh, so, for instance, Norway has has uh, relatively low emissions, but a very large storage potential, and so has been positioning itself and trying to build relationships with the EU around uh, storage uh, for for EU emissions. So, CO two exports beyond kind of international borders or in between the EU and countries outside of the EU is definitely becoming a, a kind of hot topic. And the UK's always been kind of interested in that space and has got various agreements in place with Norway and uh, has relationships with the EU on this topic uh, and is looking to forge relationship with others as well. Because as soon as CO2 shipping um, becomes a, a viable proposition, it, it opens up various different possibilities that could uh, see CO2 imports and exports going even beyond Europe uh, and between continents. Uh, and so the UK is very well positioned with, with lots of storage, but slightly different position to someone like Norway. Uh, Norway's got lots of storage, um, not a significant amount of emissions. The EU has lots of emissions, not a significant amount of storage. The UK is some, somewhere in between. We've got a, a very good storage resource, one of the best storage resources in, in Europe, and, and, and plenty of storage. But we've also got a significant uh, emissions and are seeking to apply uh, carbon capture and storage to those emissions. Um, so we sit in this kind of middle ground where uh, we have a large storage resource, but a lot of it will be required for our own emissions. Um, but we'll definitely be seeking to become a key player in, in the kind of import export market and could um, be looking to take CO2 uh, emissions from other countries into UK stores. They are the significant um, opportunity that the UK is well positioned for. It sounds, it sounds to me that the UK is trying to bridge that difference between where the emissions are being produced and where the emissions can be stored. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And I think like some of the stuff we're doing ourselves um, helps helps with that. If, if we've got a substantial amount of emissions close to a store, um, you can reach the scale required much more quickly. And then others can learn from that if they've got, you know, more distal emissions and need to uh, develop new forms of transport or build longer pipelines. Um, they can learn from from what we do uh, in terms of capturing and storing at scale. Uh, I think that's what I would say about, you know, a lot of the stuff I talked about in the US, uh, it's done at reasonably small scale in pockets. Um, and the UK's approach is, is, is kind of very ambitious in terms of the total magnitude of what we're trying to do in each of the clusters. And so that'll be something that'll be interesting to, to kind of see the UK forge ahead on and hopefully uh, allow others to learn from our 
future successes. I think that about wraps up our episode on CCUS. It was a pleasure exchanging with you, John. Great. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on.